Hello and welcome to the Healthy Entrepreneur Club podcast. Today we have a very special guest who is a relationship coach turned business and executive coach. Halid Gorab worked with hundreds of businesses to help them on their journey to success. And in this episode, we not only dive into how he believes a business can grow and should grow, but also how he has found his own success through an interesting journey of health and mindset. Khalid, great to have you on the podcast. We'd love to hear, just to start off, a little bit more about what you do. So I am a business and executive coach. For over 13 years, what I've done is uh, I worked on the business side of businesses. I also work with the executives within businesses or organizations to help them be more and do more for that business, eventually, so that we can get to a better numerical uh, result or a business result. That's, right. the, that's what I aim to do. I like to correlate both. See, but you've got that experience to start with. So what was it that you were doing in the corporate world that then made you decide that I'm going to change into actually I can deliver more by coaching people? Yeah, so I come actually from a tech background. Okay. So I worked on uh, many technology companies. Uh, I worked on the hardware side and then I worked very early on on AI when I lived in Europe for a while, uh, back in like 2010, 2009. It was not even a thing yet. Okay. And then I was like, wow, you know, this, this is it. I, I want to jump ship and do my own thing, but tech is my background. What was the, what was the AI you're working on? Do you remember? Yeah. Uh, well, I, can, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but it was it was just at the at the back of, how can I say? Back then, it was two cameras, you know, like CCTV cameras. Mm-hmm. One just uh, kind of, um, how can I say, monitors people's behavior. But the second one captures this and creates data in supermarkets for the owners of the supermarket to know which products to push. And eventually in real time, it would learn before telling us what needs to happen. And then we'd get the data prior to actually running a next test. So it was self-learning. And then eventually we had the data beforehand and we knew where to put those in supermarkets. Wow. Yeah, it was very early on. It was, I was like, what? That's <laughs> an exclusive. It was Because have you seen that Dubai have just launched the first supermarket where there's no one working in it? They just have to restock the shelves, but you can pick something up and you can just walk out the door and it will charge you to your account. 100% I've seen that, yes. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. and I think Amazon launched, launched the same thing. They've got a similar thing in Europe. And when it? I saw it, I was like, mm, okay, a bit, a uh, couple of years down, you know, like late. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so were you, you're obviously in the tech side, but did the psychology of the whole thing interest you as well? And that sort yes. of led you towards the coaching. Yes, and just so you know, after, after uh, the tech part, I tried to work and run the with the family businesses. We had six family businesses in mm-hmm. six different industries. Wow. From textile to a barber shop, uh, to food and beverage. I mean, you name it, we have we even events. And I tried to run, and I realized that also there's the people side. So I learned the business, I learned the product, and I learned the people. Mm-hmm. All these three things, which is this exactly what I do today in, uh, in my practice. This is perfect. I, I love just delving into someone. So we, we go into what they're doing now, but I want to hear more about your background before we go forward. So, so where are those businesses? Where did this whole story originate? Well, unfortunately, I mean, these family businesses did not make it, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, partly for, you know, like we, we had a large clothing line in Egypt at the time, which is why I'm originally from. And because of the revolution, you know, that mm. whole thing went south. It, it, it was out of our control. Sure. Uh, the other businesses just didn't make it over time, you know, um, because, I mean, I wasn't there to, to, to foresee their failure. But uh, I could predict at least that it was a people problem, definitely a due diligence problem, definitely a managerial problem, uh, upskilling, um, you know, we're not clear on the, the technicalities of how we approach our customers, so many of the issues, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So I guess I learned very quickly from observation 
and knowing that we need to have certain things in place to be able to get to where we want to go, which is what I do today to help people in businesses and also in larger organizations. So this is what I want to touch on. So there's always something in people's backgrounds that help you uncover why they are an expert in their field. I saw a brilliant explanation this morning from a philosopher around uh, stress being good for humans and good for development, right? So the, the analogy that was around a lobster. So a lobster is a very soft animal that lives inside a hard shell. That shell doesn't grow with them. So when the animal gets bigger and it has that, that uncomfortability, it sheds the shell and grows a new one. And that happens when there's uncomfortability, there's stress, there's a need for change. And obviously all lobsters that are 100 years old have these massive shells and they've shed lots through. So the whole premise around you've got to go through uncomfortable times and be comfortable getting uncomfortable helps that progression. I think that's super interesting. So you've obviously seen from your, you know, the family businesses in Egypt, you've seen the revolution, you've seen everything that can go wrong, but also right, because they did well just, you know, in the, in, for most of their time. And then you've gone into the AI business. So what did you learn from those tech businesses and living, it was in Europe, right, in Italy? Yes, correct. What did you learn as part of a corporate setting? I think from a corporate setting, some of the people are just in the wrong seats. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some people are there because they know somebody in the company and they think they're going to grow into that role. But uh, in a tech environment where things are changing rapidly, mm. you need the right people in the right seats with the right mindset and the right attitude. Mm. Um, and uh, number two, there was uh, too much focus on the product. Too much. Mm. And I still see that right now in the startup world with the startup founders that I coach. Yeah. My God, uh, they're spending way too much time on the product. Leave the product alone. You have to get users, go spend time, and you, ha you have to spend time hiring people to do uh, the business development work for you if you can't do it. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third thing, definitely, um, you talked about uh, the lobster. A lot of people think that the shell is actually just behavior, mm -hmm. but the shell is identity. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a great book that I would recommend to anybody. It's by a Harvard professor co uh, called Bob Keegan. He calls it Immunity to Change. Look. If I give you today, Freddie, um, a $3 million check to fund your businesses and whatever you want to do, it's, you're going to have to be a different person if I give you $30 million. Because your understanding of $3 million requires a certain identity. And your understanding of $30 million is a completely different identity. Mm. If I give you $30 million with the identity of the $3 million, you are going to spend all that $30 million in the wrong place. Yeah, I mean, it's a stress test on a business. Whenever we're working with a business, we always say, if we give you a million pounds now, what will break first? And we give them that stress test. It's very, it's almost the same, exactly the same as what you're saying there. That you know, the first thing that's going to break is usually under the operations. But is that because you don't have the knowledge to use that million pounds or whatever currency in the right way yet? Yes. Um, and just going back to what you're saying about employees and especially corporate environments, there's a saying in the UK where you rise until you become incompetent. You know, in the organizational structure, if you start at the bottom, you keep working up, and then when you become incompetent, you can't go any further. Do you not have a management set which is just full of incompetent people? Mm. You know, they potentially were better off at a slightly lower position. But then I guess the argument is how do you let someone grow if they're not allowed to, and then you should be training them. I think maybe a separate argument. Um, but I think it's an interesting point, right? That, that, yeah. that whole premise. It very much is. And I, uh, one business owner once told me, you know, if I hire a coach or an advisor, that's like telling me that I didn't do my job well. I said, well, maybe that's what we need to look at sometimes is how can we do that job better? And some people just don't want to look at what's bad. Yeah. So they keep those people in, the, in those places. Yeah. And that's what we call the difference between creative and reactive leadership. Reactive leadership is based on protection. It's based on staying where you are. 
and creative leadership is, is not about creativity it's about creation mm. how can i create more from what i have mm. i mean it's a bit like what gary v said he said document don't create right he's like mm. like you said earlier he said don't even disagree with me it looks like you're going to disagree <laughs> i don't know i'm just listening. so so he he says when you get stuck in that that creative zone as an entrepreneur you're a problem solver you you if you're creative you want to make an impact that's probably why you've gone into your own business right so he says rather than being too creative get your product and like you said earlier implement and learn and then you can come back to the creativity and i think my point really is you know a lot of people get stuck in that phase and to just document what you're doing there are so many people if you're doing something there are so many people that will be doing the same as you you will relate to a market almost accidentally mm. and show them what you're doing um but what's your view on that well like... my view i mean we're, we're aligned i think we're just using different okay, terminologies sure. but yeah. we're very much aligned. yes of course you have to be fluid yeah yeah exactly. dynamic you can't just stay where you are and do just one thing and uh, get stuck in that uh, cre uh, creativity like you said get out there do something so so when you're working with startups now what is the most common thing that you see that is holding them back? Oh my God! On the surface, everybody talks about how to get an investor, how to um, how to have the winning pitch uh, pitch deck, but they're, they're just too focused on the activity part of it, but they lack the people side. So a lot of the times now, investors are looking to they're betting on the investor and their team. Uh, I'm sorry, the founder and their team, and because of that, they miss the, the founders miss out the people side you think let's have a nice culture let's act as a family these things are very very irrelevant we're talking about deeper stuff we talk about proper communication we're talking about proper people in the proper seats mm. we're talking about how are we actually working together our working culture has to mean something mm. uh, one thing i tell founders your, your your company culture is like a cup of coffee what you put in it defines its taste everybody is responsible for that taste everybody so uh, those founders lack that. They lack the relational aspect because a lot of these people come from a consulting background or a technology background. So they're very data task driven. Great at that. But if you lack the relational side, you're in trouble. Mm. And that's why they have a hard time connecting even with the investors. Mm. You think investors think like them? Nope. No. No. How, how do investors think? I think uh, from my experience so far, a lot of these investors are looking at definitely uh, your unit economics. They're looking at how well your company is doing in such a short period of time. If you're taking too long to show progress, uh, it's not interested, uh, interesting mm. to them. Um, we're talking also about um, some investors are looking to bet on, is this team going to go for the long haul? So that's why they don't like the word exit. Oh, whoa, you, you're asking for my money and you're telling me you're gonna exit? I don't think this is the right investment for me. And then last but not least, definitely the, uh, a product that uh, has a need in the market. Mm. Will the market adopt this product or has it adopt, been adopted in the market or not? Yeah, I mean, mar I think market size is always something that people, they overlook or they, it's very easy to misinterpret when you've got a startup product. Obviously, when you start a business, one of the things, the fundamental things, you should try and run it as a big business from day one. Mm -hmm. So not necessarily overreaching yourself, that's not the point. The point is to have the processes and structures in place that look to grow with you, right? So when you look to exit the business, you don't wanna to have to then put things in place like the corporate side, the, the IP, the legals, the, the processes, the onboarding. If you do that from day one and grow, you know, we believe in what we do, that's the best way to create a business that's gonna be there for the long term. Um, and aside from that, something that I think is really important, which I think you've touched on before is, is the mindset. So that, that abundance versus scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. Most people have that scarcity mindset. So they'll do their research and they'll say, this person's doing that, this person's doing this. You know, we're growing a little bit maybe, but you know, I'm not sure if we can do any more. And it's that, that 
worry, that innate human worry that stops so many people from succeeding in their startups. And actually, if you have that abundance mindset to go, they're doing this, but I can leverage what I know. Everyone's, everyone knows, everyone is an expert in something. It's just having that confidence, but not um, arrogance to exploit it. Um, <laughs> I, think that, I think that is something that startups could learn. 100% because a lot of these startup founders, if we're talking, let's say, idea stage, very, very, very infancy stage, early stage, you mm. know, like they have the idea. They're too scared that somebody's gonna steal the idea. Mm. Look, man, if somebody actually took the idea and ran with it and succeeded, it means that it's good news. They did the work for you. There's market adoption. Yeah. The market wants your idea. The only difference you have to do right now is find your USP. That's all. Yeah. So case in point, for example, uh, uh, you know, essentially I'm a coach, right? How many coaches do you know right now in the UAE? At, uh, just Dubai alone has thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of coaches, right? I've sat in numerous meetings in corporate as well as startups or small businesses. And they always ask the same question. Khaled, you're charging us this much, but somebody in the market is charging at least 50% less. And you know, like, why, why should we go for you? And I say something simple. Listen, first of all, I'm charging you for the result. They're charging you for time. Mm. If you're going to build somebody for their time, go for it. You're gonna get the quality that you're looking for, number one, so that tells me that quality is important to you, but also it tells me that time is important to you. It doesn't tell me that you're looking for a result. Mm. I'm a results person. You wanna hire a results person? Yeah. So I've, I've carved my own niche in a way that also differentiates me in the market as a results-driven coach. Mm. And number two, yes, there's an abundance of coaches out there, but if you're going to focus on the client's results, they're going to look at a long-term relationship with you. That's my second USP, mm. that you get a very, very long-term relationship with me, even after the project is over. Mm. And number three, my area of expertise is in business and organizations. Mm. If you're going to get an executive coach out there, they're going to apply life coaching techniques into an executive environment, which may create some kind of incompatibility issues. So going back to the abundance part, uh, Freddie, abundance is fantastic, but if you know what separates you, you really won't have to worry much about who's out there in the market. Your abundance will come from within rather than from outside. Yeah. I really like that piece you touched on there with life coaching because I think we've talked about this before, a lot of people think they can be coaches or they think they can be consultants in businesses, but actually a lot of it doesn't cross over. There's a lot to be said for how important a mindset is, how important you know structure and all sorts of different elements are in coaching, but actually you know, it doesn't always work in the same way. You can't apply some of the principles of pure life coaching and you know question asking to a consulting side of a business where they need to know, they need to learn, not really be questioned. Um, I think that's really interesting in what you know you've already said is a super competitive market. And um, to touch on your point there, I can't remember who said it, but we maybe Gary Vee or someone like that, mm. or maybe Grant Cardone, who was like, if there is a marketplace which is already busy, is that not proof that it works? You know, if people are pouring into an industry. Maybe you don't see it as it's super saturated. See it as there's a lot of money being spent and it's actually something that if you can carve slightly exactly. through, it works better, exactly. right? And, and, and that's why I think I have a bit of a pet peeve with a lot of the new businesses that are rising today to the surface and saying, we are the first and only. There's, a, there's this game of firsts that people are playing. Yeah. I the first and only. Why are you trying so hard to brand your business around being the first? Yeah. Why not be the best? Yeah. Because all these people come out and say, you know what, I'm going to be the first at this and they try so hard to perfect an idea around that. And they enter the market and nobody wants that product. Okay, what did that do? Yeah. But if you come in with the mindset of, I'm gonna be the best at what we do. So I could be, for example, a coach. I'm gonna be the best business and executive coach who serves startups, period. Yeah. That's my thing. 
You're either a genius or stupid to bring something new to market, aren't you? Well, I wouldn't use the word stupid. I wouldn't insult <laughs> anybody, but yes. yes. Of course, yeah. Yes. I, I, uh, your second point there, I really agree with there, which was around, what did you just say then about? The game of first? Oh, sorry, yes. So you said first. Oh, the best, sorry. I completely agree. Have the mindset to go and be first, but don't label yourself as as best exactly until you can prove it or you know you can't just say you're leading I, I really have a, a thing against that people say I'm the best or I'm I'm the country's leading because prove it get some people behind who's you who's counting now. exactly <laughs> exactly so I want to touch on um, when you how you first started coaching right because I think you're a fantastic relationship builder and I think that harks back to what you first started doing in coaching. Yes. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Look, I grew up in a home where, like many homes, it can be quite chaotic sometimes. And uh, because of that, I, I was a very emotional child growing up. I was uh, social and I want to talk to people. I want to feel people. That was me. But then I realized I need to step back and just read. Because I felt that there was a lot of pain at home. Um, and when I started to, as a very young child, just reading to people and feeling to them, I was people became my books. And one of the most beautiful books I learned to read as a child is my mom's. Because I could see her struggles uh, as a mom, um, as maybe in her teenage years, you know, she lost her mom very early on. It became very difficult for her to be herself around us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and eventually I started to see also the beauty of her as a mom and as a, as a human being, as a, as a woman. Uh, and I then eventually said, you know what, maybe there's more to this in this world. I mean, there are other books I'm yet to read. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Eventually, I started to read so many books around me from my cousins to my uncles to my schoolmates to my teachers to and then business and so relationship came natural to me uh, and that actually drives a lot of what I do today. Mm. I'm very, very rela- relationship driven in what I do. Mm. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, of course. So how do you implement that in the executive setting? <laughs> you know, one of the questions people say, so are you like what? Well, what exactly do you say? So you work in business and leadership. I say, you know, I wish it was that simple. Yeah. I'm actually more interested in the dynamics of how all of this weaves in together. Um, there is a term for this. If you look up it up on Amazon for books, it's called systems thinking. A systems thinker will look at every part of a business or the world as intertwined. And everything that you do has an impact on something else. So you have to have the awareness to see how different parts work together mm-hmm. and be very, very uh, responsible for the impact that you create, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Mm-hmm. And I help people do that on the business side as well as on the executive side. Because mm-hmm. you're a decision maker and your decisions have an effect on the business and the business has an effect on your decisions as a decision maker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that is where the relationship piece is just how everything is connected, not just the people. I love it. So how, how do you think that your background, your upbringing and your, you know, from Egypt, your culture, what, what do you see there as a benefit that you can bring to the people in Dubai where we currently are? Obviously you could coach anywhere, but what do you see as something that really helps you, helps you stand out from other coaches or consultants in the area where you can say, you know, I have this experience obviously from your corporate background, your, your business background. Is there something else that brings you know, it empowers you. Yeah, I think I I, I see where you're going with this. Look, um, even though I'm Egyptian, but Mm. I was was blessed with two parents who helped open up the world for me. You know, you should travel. Mm. Uh, And because of that, I was able to connect with any nationality on the planet. I connect with anybody, anytime, anywhere. And I think that's one of the most beautiful gifts I've received in this life. That I can can connect with, with you, whether you're British, uh, you're, you're Kenyan, you're, you're Egyptian, you're Saudi, Emirati, doesn't matter. 
I'm gonna win you over somehow, some way, and just like that. And that uh, is something that I utilize a lot in my business because that's how I network. Uh, I can win you over in any networking setting. And I don't care if you are an Amir or you are a janitor, you yeah. can be my friend. Yeah, yeah. And because of that, um, I think we learned that in many business uh, literature, people do business with people they like. And with the people they trust, they start to grow with them in business. So I, I'm very good at creating that. Mm -hmm. And also in the coaching setting, uh, the chemistry session is easy. You know, yeah. like, oh, easy. <laughs> I mean, trust is massive in business, isn't it? And I completely agree with your point there that I strongly believe you can learn something from absolutely everyone. And if you if you don't believe that, I think you're naive. So, you, you know, you can learn. I mean, I only speak one language already. You know, I don't know what the percentage is, but a, a millions and millions of people are far superior to me in that they can speak more than one language. And I think, you know, from a janitor, a cleaner, to an exec, to a whatever, I stop and talk to all of them because I think there's so much you can learn from people. And actually, most of the lessons you learn in the, from these people, you can apply to multiple areas. You can apply it to management and business. You can apply it to your own relationships, even to, you know, your, your self-development a lot of the time because they'll be doing something different to you. Maybe they're reading in a different way or they, you know, there's so much that you can do. So I guess I want to touch on what do you do to develop your own skills day to day or, or week to week that we can learn from? Uh, the easy answer is um, I take uh, programs, I invest in programs, some of them uh, cost anywhere between $10,000 all the way to $1,000, it depends. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I could say also that I read a lot of books, but what I would actually urge anybody listening or watching this is look into your principles. Because we're fed a lot of information saying you should read, you should wake up at five, you should you should do all of these things because this is what the uh, the ultimate image of an entrepreneur or an executive or a manager looks like. But in reality, you can't base your life on an image. Mm -hmm. That's why if you uh, the book uh, Psycho Cybernetics, one of the chapters is all about self image. Mm -hmm. So principle comes from your self image. Who do I want to become in the future? What kind of entrepreneur do I want to become? Am I a visionary entrepreneur? Am I an entrepreneur? Am I an operational entrepreneur? The, this is a different, complete different set of principles that's going to set you up. So for me, I know who I am. I work on who I am. Mm -hmm. I work on a lot of self-awareness to realize I'm very relational. So the best way for me to learn is around people, yeah. which means if I do solo courses, not so much. But if okay. I do group programs, wow. That's what you learn about. That's what I learned. Yeah, I think that's, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there, but I also think for me, I like to have that vision of what I believe I should be as an entrepreneur. So I understand which entrepreneur I am, I know my, I spend a lot of time looking at my strengths and seeing how they're evolving, so I know my weaknesses. There's a really good, I can't remember the book, there's a really good book that has four different geniuses, and there's a four different geniuses in entrepreneurship, basically what you touched on there. What are you, what are you good at, what are you bad at? And it's effectively saying, work on things you're good at, bring people in to help you with things you're bad at, but... I think for me, it's good to know what I'm going to be good at, but also there needs to be some sort of discipline. Right? We've spoken in the past about discipline versus motivation. Motivation comes and goes and therefore is not good for business long term. You'll, you'll get motivated one day and it'll drop off, but discipline towards that end goal, that vision, that impact, that legacy. Um, and for me, it's what I believe I should be as an entrepreneur. So maybe not getting up at five, but a healthy diet, you know, doing enough exercise, um, self-development, relationship work, speaking to people, um, taking you out for coffee and learning from others. So I, what I'm saying is I, I agree with what you're saying, but I think there's, for me, and, and again, it's personal to each person, there's 
a drive towards what I think I can be as a perfect baseline high performance entrepreneur that I've figured out myself. Mm. So I think it's really interesting what you're saying because we're basically saying the same thing. But what folks once again, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we agree on a lot of stuff. Yeah, I think what I'm saying is that I need to look towards what I think a perfect healthy entrepreneur is and drive towards that baseline. Yes, and what you're saying is very similar, but you don't think you should put that picture in an unattainable place. Uh, and uh, yes, and to that, and don't get too attached to creating all of that picture. You will find your own way. Like yes. you can start with a structure like you ha you have already, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I did the same thing. So um, what I'm sharing also is not um, just woo. I actually did a, a, like a survey uh, on game tech entrepreneurs. Yeah. So game tech is the uh, you know startups that are working in the gaming industry and the technology behind it to create better game experiences and so on and so forth. Mobile games, console, PC. Um, and I use a tool called the Leadership Circle Profile, mm -hmm. and it measures uh, how much you are in, as a reactive leader versus a creative leader. Mm -hmm. that what I mentioned earlier. In summary, they scored so high in many of these different competencies, especially uh, let's say in the creative, like they're great at the vision and uh, motivating people and so on. But the number one competency that they actually scored low in is self-awareness. Oh, really? What? So that told us something, at least for me, I could derive something from here. They're doing all these right things, but they're not aware of how much it means to them. Is it meaningful to them? Mm -hmm. Is it based on their own self-image? They're just doing what they think is, this is how a real entrepreneur looks like. Mm -hmm. And when I did ask them, they said, yes, isn't, isn't that how an entrepreneur looks like? And I said, is that how it looks to you? And silence. So that's where my point is, start with the structure, yeah. but go somewhere yeah, else yeah. with it for you. Do you think there's a damaging impact of all the content we see on social media where it's people saying, I'm an entrepreneur, I've made a million pounds, dirhams, dollars, whatever, and I did this, and it's that I got up at three, I played golf for an hour. And there's that literal route that they've taken that they said, you should now copy me exactly. And do you think there's a sort of a a malice or well not a malice a, a damaging impact to mm -hmm. entrepreneurs around that or where that's coming from mm -hmm. when you think of uh, a successful entrepreneur today mm. if you ask most people today on the internet they'll think of uh, good looking healthy mm. wakes up at five mm. goes to the gym uh, private plane uh, if they're if their male has women around them you mm. know so and so there's like this um, weird image around what it means to be successful Successful, uh, uh, to being successful today is about your impact and what you're doing because all this is going to go away, yeah. right? So that's number one. Is it damaging? It can be, especially to the younger generation where um, their, their stage of development, their brain associates a lot to membership. So membership meaning I have to be part of uh, a football club. I have to be part of an entrepreneur's club. Mm. Uh, it's all about where am I uh, being part of that's going to validate me. Mm. So when you have all these online entrepreneurs validating those kids or those youngsters uh, at that stage of development, they forge this idea that this is what success looks like. Mm. And then once they grow up, they go like, oh, it's not. And it becomes very disappointing for them. And I've seen that over and over again in the industry. Mm. I think that's really interesting. So again, for me, I like, I, I'm quite a social person like you and I like to be part of clubs where I feel there's a value return. So I'd like to be in clubs of entrepreneurs where it's not networking and they're trying to sell you something. It's a club where you're just learning, they're inspiring each other. Um, but I completely agree that having that outline of, for yourself of what success looks like before you speak to anyone else is super important. Um, 
and one of the things we talk to people about is that legacy. So once you're once you've got through the, the sort of concept phase of entrepreneurship, maybe you're doing well, but not not quite at the, at the peak phase, the lifestyle or performance business. It's what is your legacy going to be? What is your impact? Because impact does make sales, so it does help. It is related, but more than that, you know, on your deathbed, this is what we say to people: on your deathbed, no one's interested if you've got hundred million in the bank or one million. No one's no one cares. Maybe direct inheritance inheritance against you interested, but I think it's better to say. I impacted 100,000 lives for the better, or I saved this many lives, or I, you know, you know, you know, there's so many different options in charity or in philanthropic work. And I completely agree with you that actually that legacy you can leave and knowing that early on is super important in driving your business forward because it makes it bigger than you. There was a, uh, a guy I used to follow called Elliot Hulse. Sure. He, he was a power lifter turned spiritual mentor right now and does any, any, but when I followed him in the very beginning, he used to say his legacy is to be uh, on stage in front of thousands and thousands of people to, uh, to deliver a message of how, what it means to be strong. Mm. And then down the line, he became popular on YouTube and he said, you know, I can tell you something, the image of that legacy never changed in my mind, but my application of it has changed because the world changed. Back then, I used to think that the only way to deliver my message was on stage, in an arena, mm -hmm. like Les Brown and so, forth, so, mm -hmm. so on and so forth and uh, Tony Robbins. But now with the internet, my stage is YouTube. Yeah. So I love what you're saying because today when we have an idea of what it means to, to be, you know, focused on the legacy, go for it. And be open to the idea that the world is changing. You, you, your, your mechanism, your vehicle is gonna change as well. Yeah, and actually, you're touching on a really good point. There's, um, you know, if, you, if your goal is to have a, I keep speaking in pounds, I mean, dollars. If your goal is to have a million dollars in the bank, and mm -hmm. that to you is success from early on, you don't know if that's going to be a high goal or a low goal. And ultimately, when you achieve that, nothing's going to happen. You're just going to, you're just going to wake up the next day and go, oh, I'm a millionaire now. But if you've got a goal that is a moonshot that helps people, impacts people, that will be something that you'll work towards. And when you do achieve it, if you do achieve it, it will be so much more uh, rewarding to you in your heart, I think. You know? And I think that is something that entrepreneurs that are tainted by what social media perceives success to look like, they miss. They forget on their journey that the journey is that you should enjoy. You should impact lives for good and set your own goals for success that are something that is not necessarily just financial. You could say, you know, I want this much money in the bank, but actually what does that mean to you? You could change that terminology and say, I want my family to have you know, generational wealth or I want to be able to pay off my parents' mortgages, whatever. Yeah. And I think that is so much more powerful. 100%. What I want to touch on now is the challenges you've faced, right? So coming up through uh, the businesses, the corporate companies, and then the coaching. What are some of the challenges you face on your journey towards success? Well, definitely the very, very first one is, you know, um, on a very deep, I've been always deep as a child, but who am I? Mm. You know, I, I remember uh, after my first ever breakup, I was very young, uh, but my first ever breakup, I was shattered. What does that mean? Why, why am I shattered? And I, I, I had to ask this question. So I think I was just trying to find myself at a very young age. That's the first one. Uh, second is people pleasing. Because being a, an observer uh, has, you know, like good things and bad things. Eventually, you start uh, people pleasing as a habit because you want to learn from people. Uh, you're like, oh, okay, sure, sure. You know, um, kind of uh, complying to people, being respectful uh, at, the, at the cost of you. Uh, so I started to read so many books, but I forgot to read my own. Mm. Uh, and that for me is what people pleasing looks like, at least the beginning stages of it. Uh, that's the second one. The third one is actually uh, actually learning 
step away from the employee mindset into the business mindset, that was actually a struggle. Like, that was painful. Because when I first started, I said, I need X clients to make this amount of money uh, per month. Then I realized, oh wait, not everybody's sticking around for one-on-one -on -one coaching. Oh, why? What is that? You know, so I started to equate my self-worth to that. Yeah. Uh, and that was another journey on its own to learn the business side. Yeah, yeah. Um, and fourth um, is learning all about the impact that I want to make, the, which you call legacy. Mm. Because without that, I was running in circles. So I, I wasted, because of these four challenges, I wasted, I think, over 300,000 dirhams mm -hmm. burned through that. And that was very painful. So I was in debt for a while. Uh, I lost a lot of good relationships. Uh, I've heard some of the closest people that I know, uh, and most importantly, um, at least for me in my own world, I lost my connection with my creator. Uh, so I, I felt like I was running in the wilderness, naked, not knowing where I'm going, in circles, thirsty and hungry, and I don't know where to do, what to do and where to go. Mm. That was These are big, big challenges. Those are super, you've thought about them before, right? You've put a lot of effort into thinking about where those challenges have come from and how to solve them there, because most people, when you say to them the question I just asked, they don't have such a deep answer. They haven't put as much time and effort, I don't think, into thinking about it, discovering it, and hopefully overcoming them. You know. Yes. Um, so, so how have you been able to, you know, box up those thoughts and overcome or work towards overcoming those challenges? Well, I mean, uh, because my first challenge was all about me, mm. self-awareness was there from day one. So I had to work a lot on looking inside and I didn't like a lot of the things that I saw inside at a younger age and even right now as an adult. Look, my journey and not anybody's journey, I can tell you that for sure, is shiny. You know, everybody who shows up on social media and showing you that it's nice and great. I'm telling you, man, sometimes some of these people go home to tears, right? So that tells us something. If I own my humanity from day one, it may make my journey a bit smoother. And that's what I focus on. That's why I have answers. I had to work on the human side. Mm, I think. Well, I think it's amazing. I think having that approach to self-development and emotional intelligence is super powerful, right? And that's probably what it's probably links to your how good you are with relationships and relationship building and trust building and working with businesses to bring them in together because it's just innate. It sounds like it's just innate. All of your answers have been around people and social and understanding how people operate, right? Which yes. is, I think, fairly rare. Yes. Agree. Not everyone can do that. No. One, one, of, my, one of my mentors, uh, Dr. John Gray, the author of uh, Men Are From Mars, Women From Venus. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm also one of his certified coaches and uh, the partner here in the UAE. Mm. Um, and one of the cool things is, because you're probably thinking, oh, what does that have to do with business? Interestingly enough, when he hired, who is now my coach, um, the CEO of Mars Venus Coaching International, uh, Richard uh, Bernstein, uh, Rich came from selling a $50 million company. Very big on business. And he said, well, you know, what does this have to do with business? So Dr. John said, if you think that business doesn't have to do with people, you don't know business. Mm -hmm. And that's the day Rich became the CEO and he's my coach now. Wow. Um, and I learned a lot about people, the importance of people. You can't have a business without people. Yes, you're gonna tell me AI is coming up. AI assists right now. It's an assistance, but it doesn't take away people. Yeah. So, yes, uh, I'm just expanding on your statement. <laughs> well, I want to push it towards, you know, corporate and working in businesses. We've touched on it slightly before, we've come round full circle, but it works quite nicely. What is it about relationships and people that you see in businesses that cost them growth or success or whatever their metric is? What is it that you can help with in the actual business around people, if that's the main thing we're talking about, that moves them forward? What's, or maybe I, maybe I can rephrase the question. What's the biggest issue people have? 
I can't say there's a biggest issue, but some of the common issues that I've seen uh, over the years, uh, I think a lot of times people are going in to work for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. okay. So you, uh, look, you, everybody wants to work to get an income at the end of the day, fine. But eventually you have to evolve out of that. And if you're staying in a position that is part of a company that is out there to make an impact, let's say a startup uh, or a small business, you have to evolve as a person. If you don't evolve, you become a liability to the company. Mm -hmm. And that's why everybody's talking about aligning to the vision, what is the mission and all that kind of stuff. It's because they're trying to tell people you have to grow out of your scarcity mindset into an abundance mindset. Join us. Join us into influencing that cup of coffee. Yeah. Because I can't influence the flavor on my own. So that's number one. Number two, I think much of the times the people who are leading the business are not actually leading. They're managing. Yeah. So they're, uh, they're more focused on the resources, the planning and so on. And, you know, and they're very classic in their approach and they're getting in the way of the people's growth and they don't allow them to actually grow their ideas. Number three, they're empowering people too soon. Yeah. Especially in the startup world. I, know I do a lot of corporate work, but maybe because I'm so passionate about startups. Uh, I'm just noticing that they empower people very quickly. A manager suddenly becomes uh, a CTO. What? Well, what is that? Why? Uh, so that becomes an issue on the bottom line as well. Because you're, you're not getting the output out of a CTO. You're getting an output out of the manager. Yeah. Last, but, last but not least, here's one, man. Look, any organizational setting, your, your purpose sh shines through in your work. So if you are purposeless, you don't have a passion, you don't have... Um, an expression that is human that comes into your work you're actually going to take down the business slowly with you mm. because it's not meaningful you're just doing what needs to be done and you can see that even on the business owner level the business is a reflection of the business owner I, I see that over and over again yeah I agree there's, there's so many good points in there one of them you know brings up the memory of me that there was last year quiet quitting it was a oh, massive yeah. thing right where people come in they do their bare minimum from 9 to 5 and then they go home because they, they're not aligned with that purpose. And I, my question for you is around people wanting to be entrepreneurs, probably maybe from the media, because they've seen what we talked about earlier, the idea of success, but they don't want to take the risk or they think they can be an entrepreneur within a business. And I wonder how you think that impacts people. This week I've had a couple of meetings with large businesses, but I spoke, I've been in contact with an entrepreneur in residence, which I've never heard before. And ah, this week I've had two different meetings course. with different companies. And I don't, you know, in the UK, that's not a role that I'm aware of in corporate roles in FTSE 100 businesses. I've never come across that before. You you know, it's either a business development or you're some sort of um, growth manager. An entrepreneur in residence, the way they explain it is, I'm an entrepreneur with the free will and, and I'm targetless, so I'm not a BD. Um, I literally am an entrepreneur in this business for a couple of years. They're not a consultant, they're an employee. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting. Is that a way of rephrasing what a business is because they can see that the, the young people want to be entrepreneurs but they need to attract them back into the corporate world? What, what do you think? Well, I, I don't know um, which part are you wanting to talk about more, the fact that people want to go into the corporate world or becoming entrepreneurs? Which one do we talk you, about? You go, whatever you want. Look, I, I, I'll try to find the sweet spot for you in your question. Um, what does it mean really to be an entrepreneur? Should, uh, and is this something that's applicable internally into an organization or a business or no? Does it sound Question. Good? Yeah? Is, is that the thing? Is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Let's use that. Okay. So here, here's what it is. Um, an example of an entrepreneur in residence, especially today in the venture capital world, uh, that is a normal common role in, in venture capital. Mm -hmm. uh, and it doesn't mean that this person is a business owner. 
No, of course. But they can be a business owner. They can be a founder already. And sometimes it's actually favor, it's favored that you are a startup founder and aware of the startup environment and ecosystem to be able to effectively play that role within a VC. Because an entrepreneur in residence will come in, they'll deploy for their, the VC's portfolio companies, their wisdom, uh, their, uh, their metrics, their best way of running the business and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Right. And they can coach and mentor. Now, if you want to become an entrepreneur today, very easy. All you have to ha- have is an idea. The next thing you need to do is execute on that idea. Mm-hmm. That's step one and step two, done. Can you become an intrapreneur today in companies? Depends on the culture. Sure. Some, cul- some cultures just don't want you to activate your ideas. Just come follow orders. I was part of those at some point. And it's a, it's a very big known organization here that is made to put the UAE on the map. And I can't say that for, for legal reasons. But there was one time, I remember, I was just an external consultant. Yeah. But to them, I was an employee. To me, uh, my contract is external. Mm-hmm. So I'm just consulting. But I asked um, uh, the person I was reporting to at the time, and I just simply asked, could you give me feedback on when do when am I at my best? What behaviors do you see me showing up as to to bring bring more of that? And what what are my gaps? I'm asking for a mini three sixty here. Yeah. And uh, and he said, Khaled, you are, uh, I don't know, but all I'll tell you is you need to do what you what you told. Whoa, whoa! Like that sank. Like I even felt it. I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that's an environment for an entrepreneur? Yeah. No. But I came in with an uh, with a mindset of one. Yeah. So uh, there's a really good book that can help you define that. It's called Your Next Five Moves by uh, uh, um, what? Pat David, the something he, he edutainment. I forgot his name, but he talks about who are you as an entrepreneur, and that uh, will help you define who you are: entrepreneur, entrepreneur, so on and so forth. Mm. I think it's really important to know who you are as an entrepreneur. I want to touch on productivity. Ooh, right. Let's go. Because the, the, the idea of productivity, and what I want to do is tie it into what a healthy entrepreneur is, right? Go because we talked about discipline, um, talked about, we want to talk about productivity, but towards a healthy entrepreneur. So what does, as a healthy entrepreneur, you would have something that's planned out, you have your week planned out, you know what your mission, your goal is. We, we talked about your legacy, we talked about you know, a lot of areas. How do you stay productive as a healthy entrepreneur? You've got to get all your things in a line to be able to you know, work effectively as a consultant or a coach because you can't just do your work and then forget yourself. So how do you keep yourself productive and what does that look like for you? Oh yeah, uh, so I will start actually, what, what does that look like for you first? Because that's the number one question we need to ask for somebody who wants to become productive if they have autonomy. Yes, yeah. yeah. If you're part of a large organization, productivity will look so different and it will be part of how they want you to be productive. So that's yeah. different things, right? But if you have autonomy, you have to define what productivity means. For me, a productive day looks like having the ability to move my body while I can make a difference aligned with my purpose. Mm. That's a productive day. That's I'm gonna go to bed and say, I did something great today and I feel productive, right? And based on that, I can start to book my, my day accordingly. Number two, I have to block in my week the essential parts of what it means to be hallowed. Nice, I like Look, that. I'm not touching anything about work yet. Yeah, yeah. Right, so for me, my essentials are sleep, wake up. I have these on calendar. Um, gym, prayer, you know, food. Yeah. Uh, these are my essentials. And then I block also time for joy. There are things that I need to do to be, Part of joy for me is to call my parents. Mm-hmm. Like at 6 p.m. every single day, I call my parents. Wow. I have to call them. I have to say hello. I have to check on them, see if they need anything. That gives me joy. Hearing their voice gives me joy. And I'm just so grateful that they're in my life. Mm. Um, 
all of these things, once they're, once they're aligned, the remaining time is impact time. So I, it can be through my hobbies, it can be through my clients, it can be through my business development. And then I get to decide which are the days for certain business activities. So for me, sales uh, and marketing are done on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. So if anybody has my Calendly, they'll see that the only times they can have a discovery call with me is on Tuesdays and Thursdays, mm -hmm. and that's it. What, can you do anything else? No, it's just for that. Yeah. And my final piece that I block on, the, on calendar, on Monday, between nine and 11 a.m., reset time. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time people are spending too much energy on how I can uh, power up and uh, recharge on the weekend, but you need some time to actually transition out of the weekend into the, into the working week, and I call that reset time, mm -hmm. 9 to 11 a.m. on Monday. And what would you do at that time? Oh, just anything, but I just, need, I just need time for me as a guy, I need to just wind down quiet time, okay. and just allow myself to do nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, and just reintegrate back into my work, mm -hmm. and then once it hits 11, I do what I need to do, you know, check my email, yeah, yeah. Do, uh, start to call, call the client. So would you say you put, it, that sounds like your baseline calendar, right? It's a week as a month, but that's what you do. Would you say that you prioritize yourself over your impact or your work activity? Uh, I wouldn't say prioritize, but it sits at the base. Okay. It sits at the base of everything that I do, because without it, I learned the hard way. Um, if, if I'm, look, if I fall, it's going to be very hard for me to pick my business up, especially at the stage that I'm in. Yeah. Right. But the more I hire people, the more I'll be able to actually step away. Yeah. But for now, no, because of where I'm at, it's very uh, uh, essential that I keep my life in uh, the, the basis of it all. This is, this is really interesting. This is what we're working on at the minute, because I think it's super important to have that baseline. Um, you know, a lot of people in startups or in business, they will put their business first and they put their relationships and their, themselves second. And what happens is, I put this on LinkedIn recently, there's a sort of a, a, a line that goes up and down, like a, very, like a wave, right? And it's between burnout and distraction or boredom. And in the middle is the high performance route of an entrepreneur. That's where you want to sit. You get the most done, you're at your healthiest, which is obviously correlated. But what happens is entrepreneurs go up and down. They go super into um, creative mode. Then they sort of, they burn out, they, they, they relax a little bit. They don't look after themselves. It comes down to that boredom or distraction phase. So they can either be doing nothing or they get super distracted with like wellness activities and it's all about me, I need to look after myself. Then they look at the business and go, oh, I need to put some more time in. They go back up through that high performance route, burn out again. And it's sort of an ongoing thing where you can replicate it. So I think if you turn that around and say, what makes a health entrepreneur, look at the best entrepreneurs in the world. They put themselves first, not in terms of, I'm gonna go and you know, go on a yacht today. It's not like a, a reward system. It's my health, my well-being, my relationships. It's the core pillars, right? Yes. And I think that is super important. And in the people that we speak to, you know, sometimes we, this has come out of coming through um, consulting with people that sort of burn out halfway because business is hard, you know, it's, it's relentless. And if you don't have your baseline, it's really difficult to grow without those massive spikes in success and then dropping back down again. Mm. And what you want is that nice curved increase in business growth towards whatever your impact is, going back to those points. Um, I think it's amazing to hear that you know, you've got that completely in line. This is why you're a great guest for the podcast because you, <laughs> you already know how to, how to do this. And you've, you've made a change in your life to do that. Right? That wasn't always the case. 100%. 100%. And it played a big role in my life. I think one of the things I'm, I'm picking from what you're saying is mm recovery mm -hmm. uh, prioritizing yourself creates recovery you can recover as a person far better and faster and more effectively to continue to run your business especially when you tell me like you know it's between like a little bit of stress and burnout and then you come back up to creativity yeah. basically like that's recovery right there yes it is it's fantastic yes, yes i agree thank you perfect i want to go straight into so we've covered productivity 
which I think is really, um, really cool. And I want to touch now on, you've already kind of mentioned it, but high value tasks. So in your day, you've already got the, the spots for business activity, for marketing sales on Tuesdays and Thursdays, for example. You've got your own time on a Monday morning and obviously we've heard about the other self-development areas in your baseline. How do you define what a high value task is for you? And where does that sit in your week? Yeah, so a high value task is a task that's going to generate the, the most return on my impact. Now that impact can be on the business, or can be on me, or can be on others, mm-hmm. right? Now, obviously, me being the priority, I can tell you that one of my high priority tasks is going to the gym. Yes, yeah. Right? Um, you know, like having dropped 50 kgs in over a year, I can safely say that consistency in that place works. Number two, cooking. Oh my God, like I, I've enjoyed cooking. Th- thanks to many people in my life to help me do that. Yeah. Um, networking, oh my God. That is one of my favorite things that I do in my business. I'm a crazy networker, and I will go network in places where people don't think actually is a networking experience. Really, like people think I have to go suit up and everything to be in a networking experience. No. What's an example? Well, for me, like you know, if have you have you been to a Rafisa Dam? No. Are, oh, okay. Well, hmm, I just <laughs> out of the water. So it's near Khorfakan. Go there when the weather is better. It's great for a nice quiet breakfast, right? Yeah. But you know what? For me, going there, having a nice quiet breakfast. It's a networking experience because I get to talk to the business owner sitting there because I go there at seven, no, 8 a.m. when they open. Mm-hmm. The business owner is there. I'm networking with that business owner. How's business? What are your challenges? What are you, what are you doing to make things better? Eventually, this guy remembers me, mm. right? And I have a belief that somebody knows somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. And eventually, they're going to tell you, Khaled, I have somebody that would like to work with you, right? I want for breakfast. Yes, perfect. And you told me a story as well where you went, you just took your kids to a mall and managed to get some business because you were there and you were you just see that as an, an opportunity right you went to a mall and there was a please remind me there was was it lego or something and there was a company that had some sort of activity in the mall and you end up talking to the owner yes because he had a problem he was just oh up to my you. god but you just see it as I a can, I, again because they're clients now i can't say their name no, of course but uh, uh, you know they, they were just uh, we were just there with friends hanging out at the mall and um, it's a it's a kids entertainment uh, place. Yeah. I think some people can think of that. And I'm just, uh, you know, wondering about the place. And um, I talked to a person who's standing outside and happens to be the CEO. And, I, and I'm just genuinely interested about the place. And I'm asking this person who's wearing the t-shirt. And he's like, I'm the CEO. And because of that, eventually he's like, you know, I really like the way you ask questions. Mm. We need to talk. And we, he's, he's my client. So networking is really just activating yeah. relationships that may or may not turn into business. But I think there's more to it than that because networking is something we've spoken about in the podcast before with you know networking experts and I'm not saying you're not a networking expert, but what I'm saying is I think what you're what you have is entrepreneurial resilience. So most people go to networking because they absolutely have to. They know they don't necessarily enjoy it, they know they need to go there, they might get a lead. They may not they may do it in the right way or not. But entrepreneurial resilience is that baseline that you've already got in your life. You know that networking works. You go there with the right attitude, you know how to go there you know, um, in a way that you're already healthy, you're thinking, you're motivated, you're able to get that return. You're not going there out of desperation. You're not going there just to sell, sell, sell. You've got the resilience to know, I'm okay, that abundance mindset, I'm good at what I do. If it happens, it happens, but you can show the value. Whereas I think most people go to networking and they just go, I'm gonna get to 10 networking events this week. I'm gonna have to pay this much to go there, so I better get a return. I'm just gonna go there with a business card, hand it out, and hopefully I'll get something, I'll be tired, I'll get some food after. You have that resilience, the entrepreneurial resilience and mindset and abundance mindset to go, 
It's all the time. Well, there's a difference between going there because you should and going there because you really get to go and you enjoy it. True. Do you mind if I share a quick story? Go ahead. There's a recent event that happened by uh, Dubai Into the City was hosting Chris Doe. Chris Doe is one of them. Yes. I, I went there because I was like, wow, but Chris Doe, this guy helped me go from $1,000 per month to $20,000 per account. Nice. Per month. And I went to see, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go have a great time. And there was this company that was doing the catering. They were having a brisket and everything. So one of the guys, I was waiting for my turn for my brisket. And I love brisket. And this guy comes and he's like, well, what are these guys selling? Right? And I just take it upon me out of sheer passion for brisket to tell this person about briskets. And the business owner just happens to be there. And he just said, I didn't even know it was him. He said, you know, you do such a good job of telling people about what we do. Well, what do you do? I did nothing, Freddie. And, and I just made it all about him. And I was like, dude, tell me, why did you start this business, man? This food is amazing. And really, the next people that come in, I was like, let me tell you about this amazing brisket that they have. And the guy was just enjoying it. You know, and you know, like this is a lead right there. Exactly. This is a business lead. I didn't have to think about getting a business lead. I just get to tell people, look at this amazing brisket. <laughs> We're going to have to touch on Chris Donut. Oh. He, he is fantastic, right? I know who's in Dubai. What is it that he did or taught you or you took away that helped you make that massive change in revenue? Take a stand for your price. Of course. Oh my God. His client-facing techniques, even though he's all about branding mm. uh, and, and he targets creatives. Mm. I'm not a creative, but I love how um, he has such a good skill around being client-facing, client making sure that, look, there's a difference between paying for a thousand dollars and a ten dollar logo, and you have to be able to communicate that value. And he does such a good job, and he helped me do that. Not so that he helped you communicate your value better and more confidently. As a coach, yes. But again, abundance mindset, right? You won't be able to do that if you don't have that mindset of I am good. I know that I'm good. I put yes. in to become good. Yes. Just super interesting. I want to move into some sort of quick thoughts. Sure. Uh, you've already given us loads of book recommendations. Do you have another one? <laughs> yes, Traction okay. by Gino Wickman. Okay. If you are a business who you have over 20 employees at this point and you're going maybe, uh, or maximum 250 employees, this book is going to help you as a business owner to be able to run your people better, uh, how to hold them accountable in a better way, and how to create a role in the organization that he calls the integrator, that is a cushion between you as a visionary and your people. Because this is one of the big challenges that he found a lot of people have. And that's why he created something called the EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Mm. Fantastic book. Uh, number uh, number two, scaling up. Sure. So scale, um, um, Gino Wickman, I think I think is competing directly with scaling up, yeah. and I think one of them came out of the other. Can't remember who. But anyway, another, that's another good book, scaling up for businesses. Amazing. We'll put them both on the on the podcast links. Yes. Um, I'd like to know how you stay motivated. Oh. Ah man, conversations with God. Okay. So uh, one of the people that, that you know, because I was always in discover that who is God, mm. right? And uh, and I think in today's personal development industry, in my opinion, at least, they made God look so bad. I don't know why. It's like, oh, you know, God, I don't want to believe in a creator that punishes. No, man, this is love. So for me, one of my friends told me, how can you love somebody you don't know? Mm. And for me, it's like, whoa. And how can you accept somebody's love if you don't know mm. that person? So I, I talk to God sometimes as a friend in a very weird way, like really as I'm talking to you right now, mm. like very conversation, like I'd have my coffee and sit in the car and talk. That motivates me. Number two, uh, just hearing my parents' voice. Yeah, that's amazing. On the phone and seeing them. I'm so blessed. Yeah, you make them proud. Oh, yes. Just seeing their, their smile. Yeah, that's incredible. Oh, my God. They're perfect ones. I like that. They're very different answers than we've had before. I like them. 
Yes, thank you. Um, I'd love to know a quote that inspires you. Dare and the world yields. Ooh. Go on, you have to explain it a little bit more. It's, did you see that? Ooh. Yeah, yeah that, like, powerful. It, it, it creates the space, it's like, whoa, there's yeah. something expansive here. Yeah. It's up to me to take a stance, mm -hmm. and this is why I resonate with Chris Doe. You need to take a stance, because if I don't, nothing's gonna happen. So when I put that out there in the space, and the space that could be the world, my office, my people, I get a feedback immediately. Mm. And I and my first learning around that quote before I even came to understanding it is as a DJ. I used to be a DJ a long time ago. And that taught me leadership. Well that didn't come out earlier, did it? I know, I got that as a surprise. <laughs> I, I used to I used to be a, a regular in what is now called Mahiki. Back then it used to be called apartments in Jumeirah Beach Hotel. Sure. And man, look, in simple terms, there in the world yields is almost like a DJ. You put a song out there, you're gonna get instant feedback from people. You're gonna see their faces and they're gonna tell you whether they like it or not. You need to think on the spot on what to do next to keep the momentum going. Mm. There in the world yields. You just show the abundance mindset the whole way through this, haven't you? It's, yeah. uh, it's brilliant. Um, one of the final ones is if you had a full free day, how would you spend it? <laughs> uh, the first thing that came to mind is I would take my family uh, traveling somewhere uh, nice where we can be together. Perfect, where would it be? Italy. Ooh, where in Italy? Where you, where you live? Uh, no, Sardinia. Sardinia. Next to the ocean. In the summer? In, probably just before summer kicks in. Just, just before, before, yeah, like spring. Yeah, or just before fall kicks in. That's what I would do. These are the two yeah. golden points of being in Italy. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. Khaled, how can some people find you? Go to dearkhaled.com. The, yep. the dear as in like, are you writing a letter? Yeah, D dear, yeah. Dear Khaled, and Khaled with an E, not an I. Yep. Uh, and you can find me. Or you can go to uh, LinkedIn, just type Khaled Gorab, you'll find me as well. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you so much and uh, all the best. Yeah, man, thank you so much.